Carter Report presents worship from the Community Adventist Fellowship in Glendale, California. A special welcome to all of our viewers in North America and our new friends and churches in Russia. Today you'll enjoy uplifting music and the preaching of the everlasting gospel by pastor, teacher, and evangelist John Carter. Please get your Bible and study the Word of God with us today. Thank you for joining us for Worship and Praise. Ooh. 
Our topic today is what happens to the heathen, all those people outside the kingdom of God who do not hear the gospel. Many people believe that if a person lives a good life and lives up to the truth as he knows it, whether he's a Buddhist or a follower of Hinduism, whatever it is, if a person is sincere in his belief, he's going to be saved. What is going to happen to people who do not have even the opportunity of hearing the gospel of Christ? And ultimately, who is responsible for taking the gospel to the world? Would you please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Acts. I want you please to turn to Acts chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 10 and onwards. Acts chapter 4, and this verse here is going to be an underlying theme of the talk today. Then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become a capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. The Bible says that the only way a person can be saved is through the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible makes it very plain that I cannot be saved by, by Buddha, I cannot be saved by the teachings of Hinduism. I cannot be saved because I'm an earnest Marxist. The Bible says there is only one way a person can be saved, and that is through faith in Jesus. Would you please come now to John chapter 17 and notice the words of our Lord himself. Uh, John chapter 17 and verse 3 and this is really the great prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ when he was standing in the shadow of the cross just a little while after he gave these words and uh, said this prayer, Jesus was let out and crucified. And this is a part of his last will and testament. John chapter 17 and verse 3. Jesus said, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus said, do you want to be saved? You want to go to the kingdom of God? Jesus said, there's only one way. He said, this is life eternal, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom he sent. When I was in Texas, Beverly and I were invited to a pastor's home. He and his wife are some of the finest Christians that I've met anywhere in the world. And after we'd had a Sabbath meal together, the topic turned to evangelism and why we believe in preaching the gospel. And I made the statement that I believe that the only way a person could be saved was through faith in Christ. My friend, whom I believe is one of the finest Christians, and his wife, they are known for their love and their graciousness, said to us with great courtesy, we don't see it that way. I said, what way do you see it? They said, we see it the way I guess most people in our church see it, which made me cautious to say any more. They said, 
we believe that any person, if he is sincere and lives up to the light that he has, is going to be in the kingdom of God, whether he's a Buddhist or a follower of Confucius or a follower of Hinduism, that if a person is sincere and truly believes in what he believes, he's going to be saved. Many people believe this. As we shared with those wonderful people some texts from the Bible, the, the lady broke down and she started to weep uncontrollably. We felt embarrassed because we were visitors in their home. We didn't go there to cause her to cry. She said, if this is true, then we have a tremendous responsibility, don't we? I said, yes, we do. She said, if this is true, what you are saying, she said, it makes me feel that I need to do something for Christ to communicate him. And she said, and the husband who is just the finest pastor, he said, if this is true, then it appears that as a church, we don't have our priorities straight because we are spending so little money on the preaching of the gospel. So these are some questions we're going to explore today. What happens to a person even if he is sincere but does not understand the truth of the gospel? There are some questions that I have thought about for years. When I was a student at Avondale College, as I walked into the chapel, up over the door, it said, in memory of Norman Wiles. I knew very little about Norman Wiles, but I had met his wife as a little boy. As a little boy, my mother had taken me to this great ship, hospital ship that was sailing out to the islands. And I had met there Mrs. Elma Wiles, who sat me on her knee and who cuddled me and told me the story of the missionaries. When they were a young couple out of Avondale College, they were sent to the New Hebrides. This was a place of heathenism. This was a place of cannibalism. And after Norman had been there for only a short period of time, some months, he got blackwater fever, and his wife sat with him day after day and tried to bring him back to health, but he died. And there with one or two natives, she dug a hole, and she put a mat in the hole, and she buried her beloved husband. And then for days she camped over the grave, afraid to leave the grave, because the natives had a custom of coming and digging up the dead, and eating them. Why did she go through all of this? Why did he give his life? Would they have not been better if they had stayed in the security of Australia with their loved ones? Why go to the New Hebrides? Then last night I read the story of David Livingston, a young man from Scotland, who felt a tremendous burden in his soul to go out to Africa. Oh, the suffering this man went through. Some years ago, I stood at the Great Falls, 
possibly the greatest falls in the world, Victoria Falls, twice as big as Niagara Falls. When he came through there in the last century, over a hundred years ago, the natives said to him, up ahead is the smoke that thunders. He did not understand this. I have seen the smoke that thunders, and I have stood in the shadow of his monument. Some are saying, get rid of the monument. What right had he to go and teach them a foreign religion? He should have left them with their own culture. David Livingston went as a preacher of the gospel to try to get rid of slavery. He was sent to Africa with a number of missions. Get rid of slavery, open up what is called the dark continent and bring them the gospel of Christ. He was mauled by a line. He was continually sick. He had malaria. Uh, he got rheumatic fever. When he died, the natives were so moved by his death that they embalmed his body, cut out his heart, and carried him for 1,500 miles through the jungle until they found a British ship and took him back to London where he was buried in Westminster Abbey. Why did he go to Africa if those Africans could be saved in their paganism? Was he deluded or are some of us? Then I read the story of men like John Wesley. 42,000 sermons. 360,000 miles on the back of a horse. Preaching at 5 o'clock, sometimes 4 o'clock in the morning to a great bunch of miners. Why bother? Thrown in the river, beaten up, stoned, kicked, knocked around. Why? Because they, those miners, they were lost without Christ. That's why. Why did David Livingston go to Africa? Because the Africans were lost without Christ. Then I read the New Testament and I read there of the Prince of the Apostles, St. Paul. The greatest theologian that the Christian church has ever produced, but not an armchair theologian, not a person who sat behind a desk or spoke in the comfort of a college classroom, but an itinerant evangelist who traveled the world, shipwrecked, beaten, stoned. Why? I've said this to a leading theologian in our own, con in our, not our congregation, but in our own denomination, who believes that people are saved if they simply follow the teachings of paganism sincerely. I said, why did Jesus so go, say, go into all the world and preach the gospel? He said, well, there are a number of reasons because we can give them a better lifestyle, we can teach them healthful living, we can show them a better culture, we can make things better for them. I tell you, my friend, that's not the reason that a missionary goes out to preach. And so we're going to consider the subject, why and how are people saved? Why the dearth of evangelism today? Why is it that one great Christian organization that I know very well takes in $30 million a year and spends $100,000 a year on evangelism.
Why? It is because they do not understand the truth of this subject that I'm speaking about today. Let me talk about my methodology. My methodology in this subject is this, the Bible and the Bible alone. I believe that I must go by the weight of evidence and by the texts of the Bible. I do not believe that I should base my conclusions upon an isolated text of the Bible. Every heresy in the world is based on one text of the Bible. How do I relate to the writings of the Spirit of Prophecy? Let me tell you. We should never build our doctrines on the writings of the Spirit of Prophecy. We should build them on the Bible. If you do not believe this, you are not in good and regular standing in the church. Because that is the truth of the church. We believe this. No doctrine came to the Adventist church through the Spirit of Prophecy. Doctrines are confirmed by the Spirit of Prophecy. And if you cannot get a doctrine from the Bible, then my friend, there's something wrong with your doctrine. Let me give you an illustration. In 1888, when the brethren were fighting over the doctrine of righteousness by faith, one of the great contentions was the law of God in the book of Galatians. The leading brethren said it was the ceremonial law and the leading brethren were wrong. Uriah Smith was wrong. Butler, the general conference president, was wrong. There were two young firebrand preachers, Jones and Wagner. They said it is the entire law of God and particularly the moral law. And so there was a fight in Minneapolis. And uh, they appealed to the prophet in our midst, Alan White, and they said, you wrote a book on this, did you not, Sister White? Therefore, tell us who was right, the brethren or Jones and Wagner? Who was right? She said, I don't know. But they said, refresh your memory. You wrote a book on this, a tract on this. She said, I've lost it and I don't remember what I wrote. But they said, please, you are the prophet of God, tell us. She said, I will tell you, yes, go and study your Bible. She said, go to the Word of God and discover what the Word of God says. Would to God her disciples would do the same. Because we are called to go to the Word of God and through the help of the Holy Spirit discover the truth. And so today it is my intention to go to the Word of God and I want to speak about great truths that pertain to salvation. Here is the first one. God loves us and wants every man and woman, boy and girl to be saved. Let me say it again. God, here's the first truth. God loves us and wants every man and woman, boy and girl to be saved. Can you say John 3:16 with me? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That text tells me a number of truths. God loves the world. God loves the heathen. God loves the pagans. God loves us. God loves every man, woman, boy 
and girl in the world. But this text in itself gives me a clue concerning salvation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I am not automatically saved because Jesus died for me. The Bible tells me I must believe in him. Now here is the second truth. The human race without Christ is lost. Let me say it again. The human race outside of fellowship with Christ is lost. I want you to come, if you don't mind, to Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 3. Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 1 down to 3 and verse 12 and onwards after that first passage. Ephesians chapter 2. And verses 1 and onwards. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world, out of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Outside the kingdom of God, the Bible says that I am dead. The Bible says that outside of Christ, I am an object of wrath. Now please read verses, verse 12 and onwards. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Did you notice these words? The Bible says, outside of Christ, I'm dead. The Bible says, outside of Christ. Now, it's strong language, but the Bible says, I'm an object of wrath. The Bible says, outside of Christ, I'm a foreigner. The Bible says, outside of Christ, I'm not a part of the commonwealth of Israel. And the Bible says, without hope and without God in the world. Listen carefully to this. Without Jesus Christ, there is no hope. Without Jesus Christ, there is no hope for any person in the world. The Bible tells me that Buddha cannot save me, and I cannot save myself. So the Bible makes it very, very plain. Why did David Livingston go to Africa? I will tell you why he went to Africa. Because the Africans outside of Christ were lost. The Africans outside of Christ were dead. The Africans outside of Christ were objects of wrath. And he took them the gospel because Jesus Christ saves. And if a person believes in Jesus, he will not perish, but he'll have everlasting life. Here is the third great truth. The human race was lost in Adam. Now please come to Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. And as you know, I've been talking about these subjects on, on Tuesday nights. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, please. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through the one man, 
and death through sin. And in this way death came to all men because all sinned. Now the Bible says that through the sin of Adam, the whole human race was lost. And the Bible says that death came to the human race because all have sinned. And if this is true, my beloved friend, if every person has sinned in Adam, and if we are all lost in Adam, every person needs a Savior. Every person needs a Savior. And the Bible teaches that there is only one Savior, and the Savior is not Buddha. The Savior is not Confucius. He is not Kali. He is not Lenin. The Bible tells me there is only one name given under heaven whereby I can be saved, and that is through Jesus Christ. Now here is truth number four. Jesus redeemed the lost human race at Calvary. Not Buddha. No, no, no. Jesus redeemed the lost human race with his own blood at Calvary. Would you please come to Romans 5, verses 6 to 8. Romans chapter 5, and verses 6 down to 8. The Bible says, you, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible teaches that Jesus died for us and shed his own blood for us. Now, I want to read you a statement from a marvelous book, and this book uh, is written was written by Ellen White, and I want to read you a statement where she, she talks about what Jesus did for us on the cross. It's, it's one of the, the great statements. Listen to this. This is Acts of the Apostles, page 29. Christ's sacrifice in behalf of man was full and complete. The condition of the atonement had been fulfilled. When Jesus died for me on the cross... The condition of the atonement was complete. Jesus on the cross paid it all. There's nothing more to be paid. The condition was fulfilled. The work for which he had come to this world had been accomplished. He had won the kingdom. He had wrestled it from Satan and had become heir of all things. He was on his way to the throne of God to be honored by the heavenly host. Clothed with boundless authority, he gave his disciples their commission. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. She doesn't say the condition of the atonement was now complete. Therefore, whoever is a sincere Buddhist, whoever lives according to his light, is going to be saved. She says the atonement was completed. Now there is something to do. What is it? Go into all the world and tell the world that Jesus has died. You say to me, this is difficult for us to believe. Are you really telling us that the responsibility for saving the world is in the hands of of the church? 
You look at me and you say, Pastor Carter, are you really telling me it is the responsibility of the church? The answer is yes. The atonement is complete. But Jesus says, go and tell the world because unless people know, they're not going to put their faith in Christ and they're not going to be saved. Point number five. Lost men and lost women are saved when they come in faith and repentance to Christ. Let me say it again. Please listen to this. Lost men and lost women and boys and girls are saved when they come in faith and repentance to Christ. I want you to come to Acts chapter 16 and verse 29 and onwards, please. Acts chapter 16 and verse 29 and onwards, please. This is a story concerning the great evangelist, the Apostle Paul. Uh, Paul had been thrown into prison for preaching. He was in Philippi. He'd been preaching the gospel, and it ended up with his being thrown into jail. Now, verse 29, the jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately, he and his family were baptized. Now here we have a pagan family, and they're living in Philippi, and God sends the apostle Paul, and he's, he's thrown into jail. And then the Philipp Philippian, I was going to say the Filipino, the, <laughs> the Philippian jailer cries out and he says, the Philippians and the Filipinos are basically the same race. Isn't that true, Eli? Somewhat. <laughs> the Philippian jailer cries out and he says, What can I do to be saved? What, how can I get to heaven? Paul says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And then straight after this, he studies the word of God with the family, then they're baptized. Now, the question that should trouble us is this. What would have happened to the jailer and the family if Paul had not proclaimed Christ? Or some of my friends in Australia and in America say, well, it doesn't depend on the church he would have got there because God would have seen what he would have done. That gets very confusing then if I'm going to be saved, if God can see into the future as to what I'm going to do. And so if I die, God says, well, if he'd lived, he would have done so and so. Therefore, he'll be saved on what I know he would have done. That's a great idea. There's only one problem with it. It's not right. It's not taught in the Bible. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't say believe on Buddha and you'll be saved. 
Now, point number six. Here's the sixth great truth. Men and women must be born again before they can go to heaven. Let me say it again because it may have slipped past your consciousness. Men and women must be born again before they can go to heaven. I want you to come to John chapter 3 and verses 1 and onwards, please. And here we have Jesus talking to a church leader and a theologian, a man who knew a lot about theology, a lot about politics, but who was lost. John chapter 3, verse 1 and onwards. <clears throat> now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. What does it mean, my friend, to be born again? What does it mean to be born again? How can a person be born again? Before a person can be born again, he has to accept Christ. The Bible says in John chapter 1, as many as received him, to them gave he authority to become the children of God. So listen to me. Before I can get into the kingdom of God, I must be born again. And before I'm born again, I must accept Christ. Now, I know that sometimes it's uncomfortable to think about these subjects because as we think about them we get, un we get uneasy but I want you even if you disagree with me to think about it. Jesus said you can't go to heaven unless you're born again why? because before I'm born again my carnal nature is controlling my life how can God take even earnest, sincere, good, kind people to heaven whose lives are dominated by their carnality? Now, I'm going to ask this question and then I'm going to answer it. I'm going to try to. Can souls from whom the gospel was kept be saved? Hey, you say that's a nasty one. Let me... Say it again. Can souls, can people from whom the gospel was kept be saved? And then this brings me to another awful question that I'm almost afraid to ask. I ask the question, does everybody have the opportunity of going to heaven? All of you sitting here would like to say with me, yes. Listen, Jesus died for everyone. The blood of Jesus was spilt for everybody. God wills that everybody should be saved, but I'm going to give you now an example from the writings of Alan White, which I believe will impress you. 
about a class of people who will not go to heaven and they never got the opportunity. Hey, you say, that doesn't sound right. I saw that the slave master, this is early writings, page 276 by Ellen White. I saw that the slave master will have to answer for the soul of his slave whom he kept in ignorance. And the sins of the slave will be visited upon the master. God cannot take to heaven the slave who has been kept in ignorance and degradation, knowing nothing of God or the Bible, fearing nothing but his master's lash, and holding a lower position than the brutes. But he does that the best thing for him that a compassionate God can do. He permits him to be as if he had not been. While the master must endure the seven last plagues and then come up in the second resurrection and suffer the second most awful death, then the justice of God will be satisfied. Does that stun you? Here's one category of people, black slaves and their white masters kept the truth away from them and they were kept in degradation and the spirit of prophecy says, God can't take them to heaven. They're going to be as though they never existed. But the white master is going to come up and face the wrath of God. But the black slave is not even going to be resurrected. How many people are going to be in that category? Because the church failed to take to them the gospel of Christ. Does that make you feel a little uneasy? I'm going to suggest to you today there are going to be a multitude of people who will not get into the kingdom of God because the church did not believe in the gospel or believe in evangelism. You say, but what about the justice of God? What else can God do? Don't talk about that. Don't blame God. You say, but I don't like hearing these things. Maybe you need to. Maybe we need to. Maybe the church needs to. Then we might have more money for evangelism. You see? The Bible teaches that the only way I can be saved is through faith in Christ and by being born again. Now what about some of us who are sitting here? We've had opportunity after opportunity and we still haven't accepted Christ. What about us? But there are going to be people who didn't get in the kingdom of God because they were kept in darkness. People in ignorance of salvation will not be saved. I'm not saved by being in a state of ignorance. I'm being, I am saved by the knowledge of the gospel. I'm not saved by darkness. I'm saved by the light of God. I went to Vienna some time ago. Two of my colleagues who have traveled with me overseas, whom I appreciate very much, a ministerial couple, we started to talk about this subject because they know I have a passion to preach the gospel. They said to me, but you're wrong. I said, why am I wrong? They said, God knows the heart. And if a person is a good Buddhist, are a good communist, and he's sincere, and he doesn't know anything better, he's going to be in heaven. 
and we debated this for hours. I didn't convince them. Because when I read them the text of the Bible, they didn't seem to want to believe those texts. Because like the lady in Texas who cried out to me, she said, if this is true, with tears coming down her face, she said, what shall we do? What shall we do? Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Did you know that Jesus said to his disciples, I give unto you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. God has given to me as a preacher of the gospel the keys. When I preach the true gospel, if you listen and have faith, the key will be turned to the door of the kingdom of God and you'll get in. The keys of the kingdom of God, made famous by the church of Rome, erroneously, have been given to every Christian who is saved. What is the key to the kingdom? Jesus said to the lawyers, you've taken away the key of knowledge. You wouldn't go in yourself and you stopped others going in. The key to the kingdom is the knowledge of Christ. I have that key. So is every Christian who is born again. Can you understand now why in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it talks about spiritual gifts, and right on the very top, it puts apostles and prophets, preachers. That's why it says the greatest gift is prophecy, and prophecy is explaining the divine will. I don't say this disparagingly, but in the same list, it puts administration, which is an important gift, number seven. I don't say that to disparage administration, but I say it so that you and I will understand the most important thing is to preach the word. HMS Richards, and as a church, we do not follow this as we ought. We have traditions like other churches. And I am right in this point because there is virtually no money for evangelism because the supremacy of evangelism is not believed because we don't believe these texts. As my friend said to me, was it Vienna? No, it was Prague. They said, we could not serve a God like this. We believe that everybody, if he lives up to his lights, is going to be saved. They'll be saved in darkness. If that is so, Keep them in darkness. Don't tell them. The best thing you can do then, don't tell anyone. Because while they don't know, they're safe. Because I've even had church members say to me, it's better sometimes not to tell them because once they know, they're under obligation to accept it. But while they don't know, they're saved. This heresy has permeated the church. Robbed us of our power. Is it true, Stephen? You know it's the truth. Mm -hmm. Now, there's something else you need to know. Listen to this. 
It is the responsibility of the church to take the message of salvation to a lost world. It is my responsibility. It is yours. You say to me, Pastor Carter, does this mean that people could be lost because of me? Yes. Yes. What would you think of a doctor who knew how to cure cancer but kept it to himself? What would you think of a doctor who had the cure for AIDS but kept it to himself? Almost sounds like the church. Would you please notice Romans 10 verses 8 to 15. Romans 10, verses 8 to 15. When I spoke on this once before, I know many of our folks were troubled. I pray that if we do not understand the supremacy of preaching the gospel, we will be troubled. Romans 10, and verse 8 and onwards, but what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Listen to me carefully. God has given to the church the responsibility of taking Christ to the world. The Bible says, how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall he preach unless he is sent? How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Uh, this Sabbath, a young man, Grenville Kent, is being ordained to the gospel ministry as an evangelist back in Australia. He asked me to go over for his ordination, but that was impossible. And the reason he is being ordained today is because he heard this sermon preached in Murunga Church. He said, prior to this, I was just a person who wanted to be a minister to counsel and to be friendly and to be nice and it was comfortable. But he said, when I heard this sermon, he said, I decided I had to be a preacher of the word. And I sent him a letter. I want to say something to you. Listen to this. Wrote this down. Why is there so little money for evangelism? Why does one Christian organization have an income of 30 million and put aside 100,000 for evangelism? Listen to this. I wrote it down. The idea that men and women can be saved in darkness without Christ and the preaching of the gospel is like an opiate, a drug containing opium, opium that eases pain and induces sleep. 
I got that out of the Oxford Dictionary, and so it must be right. A drug containing opium that eases pain and induces sleep. That's what's happened to the church. We've taken the opium. It's taken away all our pain. So we're into counseling and psychology and all the waffle and all the bunkum and all the garbage. And we are opposed to evangelism. Opposed to evangelism. Did you know that? Oh, we don't admit it, but we're opposed to it. You know why I know we're opposed to it? There's no money for it. Money for buildings, money for this, money for every bit of garbage, but no money for the preaching of Christ. The judgment of God is going to come. The judgment of God is going to come. The wrath of God is going to come. You don't believe it? Well, read your Bible. You say, it's a strong sermon, I don't like it. I don't care whether you like it or not. It's the truth. It'll judge you in the last day. I'll tell you something else. People have said to me, why... Go to Kiev. Why go to Russia? Some have even asked the question of my friends, why does he go? What's he do it for? Why go over there? What's, what's the purpose? You know why they say that? Because they're in darkness. As much darkness as Stalin himself. And there are people in the church, but they're in darkness, I tell you. Complete darkness. Blind leaders of the blind. And God has blessed us because we are following the truth. We've had the privilege in the last six months of putting $550,000 into Ukraine, seeing 9,000 more baptized the last 36 months. What would happen if every church believed the Bible? Now, I'll tell you how we get out of this. We find a statement here or there that we take out of context and we hide behind it and we go to sleep. But my conscience is bound by the texts of the Bible, not by the policies of the church. I want to make a commitment today. I want to give my life to Christ again because the only way I can be saved is through Christ. I can't be saved by belonging to the church. Some of you are trusting in having your name on the church roll. A lot of people are going to burn with their names on the church roll. Only way I can be saved is through Christ. Believe with all your heart and you'll be saved. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And then I want to commit my life again today to more gospel preaching, more evangelism. People say, do you really think when you baptized all those people over there that it really made a difference? <laughs> oh, the stupidity of some people, their blindness, their foolishness. 
You know the difference it made? While 9,000 were going to hell, 9,000 now are going to heaven. That's the difference. Would they have gone to heaven if we hadn't have gone? Most likely not. Most likely not. And the heathen are all around us. Maybe some in your family. Maybe they're next door. Maybe in the office where you work. And they're trusting in a works righteousness, that if they're good enough and if they're sincere enough, they're going to be saved. There's only one way into the kingdom, and that is through the door that is called the cross. Some years ago, I went up to the north of Italy. This is why, folks, I'll serve you notice right now. If we can't do evangelism in this church, I'm out of here. I'll go somewhere where I can. You hear this? If I can't have a television ministry and reach out to the lost, I'll go somewhere where, I, where I, I can. You hear this? If you think I'm going to settle down like an average pastor and pastor, and pastor a bunch of people and referee their fights, think again. <laughs> I'm not interested in that. You see? Now, because, you know, I... I'm, you know, you know me pretty well now. I cannot be a part of that which I believe is wrong. And I believe just to look after a church and to take church boards and to go around and visit people who've been visited to death, I don't want to do it and I will not. I know this is a bit of trouble, having the television. It wears me out also. But it is the work of God, and people are being saved through it. Amen. When I went up the north of Italy some years ago, I went up to Tarapalachi, went up to where the Waldenses are. Some of the most beautiful country in the world. I went into one of their great churches, and there were the words written in the Vaudois tongue, Ye shall be missionaries, or ye shall be nothing. They understood this truth. Most of the folks in my church denomination don't. They understood it. I want you to understand it. Here's my message to you today. There's only one way home to the kingdom of God is through Jesus. Amen. And here is the subheading of my sermon. Ye shall be missionaries, or ye shall be nothing. Amen and amen.